And he's funny. Time for the show. We live in a divided world, divided religiously, politically, and economically. Oftentimes in our world, we want to run away from tough conversations that divide us about grief, pain, and loss. We want to avoid topics like shame, guilt, and pride. We'd rather escape to our phones instead of engaging in real conversations. I know this because I do this. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast. The Winter Faith Podcast is focused on creating conversations to promote spiritual and emotional growth through faith, apathy, and everything in between. So let's talk to each other. Yet more importantly, let's listen to each other. Let's continue the conversation. My name is Andy, and I have Winter Faith. Guys, thanks for joining in the show today. I'm talking with my friend Danny Anderson. We talk about racism. We talk about how to be anti-racist. We talk about white lives matter. We talk about black lives matter. Um, We talk about police. We just talk about the system and the world that we're in. And if we're hopeful or if we're optimistic or if we're not optimistic or not hopeful about the future of our country. Um, We dive into some pretty deep stuff, and I reference a book that I'm reading called How to Be an Anti-Racist by Professor Kendi. This is an excellent, excellent book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And so we talk about that a lot um, throughout this conversation. So I hope you can learn something from Danny. I hope you can learn something from me as I talk about uh, being white and what that means. And just encourage you to think about this, that denial is at the heartbeat of racism. So unless we start looking at our own selves, and I start looking at my own selves, we can't make uh, a difference in this world. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Danny. I think it's a good one. Thanks for listening. So I make sure we get some of this stuff, because that, that was good, and I already missed it. I mean... <laughs> Well, that's what I did with the, the last Ox in the Opus episode. I missed the first, like, three minutes, and I was like, oh, hell, I was supposed to hit record. And I went back real quick. And <laughs> so that, that very first piece you heard is where – that's just where I caught, you know. Oh, that, that's where it started? It. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. thought you edited that and then nope. put that nope. – oh, okay. All right. I missed it. I missed it. And thank God, like, I recorded that part of what you were saying because that was – probably one of the better things said about (laughs) anything during that whole podcast (laughs) well danny and i are changing the world one recording session at a time yes Uh, one missed recording session that (laughs) yeah we've solved all the problems we just didn't record them so they didn't happen mash that record button man and and it's on there goes your your tank so goes antibiotic and everything else so we were just talking about just this weird weird world that we're in where you learn a lot from people's social media posts, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever. page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just like, it's just so reveal, like people really reveal themselves on social media, whether we like it or not. And it, it can, well, I'm stealing your words, but how divisive it can be. 
Mm-hmm. And just even our experiences with like our own friend groups that people we, you know, people we grew up with that we care about. And yeah, just the divisive world that we're in, whether it's, you know, with people saying COVID's a hoax, it's not real, uh, you know, various things about George Floyd's criminal background history. So that makes, you know, that means we should change our opinion. Um, mm. What's another example? I mean, that those are just two that I just think of that. Just like you bring up me. Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement, whether you're completely forward or partially supportive of it, it's it that just that term in itself is completely polarizing, dude. Because what mm-hmm. do you automatically think? What is what is the antonym to Black Lives Matter? What do you what pops in your head? Um, I mean, I think right now it's like I think of protests. I think of um maybe the symbol of like somebody with their arm up, you know, fist pump in the air on the street. Um, but I think about like just, yeah, strong opinions. I don't, I don't have too many like negative, like I don't think about violence. I don't know if it's is so what I, some people anytime, think. Anytime I hear Black Lives Matter, you always hear somebody sort of answer that with all lives matter. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. So then like you just bring that up and it's it's just like i posted something on facebook and it was a video about so the guy had a group of kids and he had a hundred dollar bill and he basically was going to put the hundred dollar bill on the other side of the field and he said we're going to have a race the first person to get to this hundred dollar bill you get it obviously so he says but first you need to answer some questions so he puts the hundred dollar bill in its place and he he has the kids lined up and he's a probably high school kid and he, he starts to ask questions. And the first question he asks is, if your parents are divorced, um, if your parents are not divorced, step forward. So a good portion of the kids or a portion of the kids step forward. Then another question is, if, have you ever, if you've never had to worry about getting your lights cut off or your, set or your phone cut off, step forward. And he continues to ask those questions until, I don't know, after a series of five to seven questions, he tells them to all look around. A majority of the kids up front were white, and a majority of the kids in the back were minority. Wow. And just by me posting that, people automatically went to, well, all lives matter. And then they started sharing their stuff on the timeline, and I'm just thinking, like, it had nothing to do. For me, it was not, like, just a black or white thing. It was just a availability of resources. Um of classism it was it was a combination of all of that to me it wasn't just saying black lives matter for me it was saying everything i I think that video to me perfectly highlights the difference between success and failure and it's more Mm -hmm. than just color it does have a lot to do with color but it's, it's more than just color for me and that just that stirred the pot on my comment section i was like lord i should have never posted this thing um you know it's funny it's like danny me and you are friends and like i don't know if i've ever looked at your facebook page <laughs> <laughs> that's why I you, know, you know what i mean <laughs> like it's just i don't like i don't get on your facebook page and like oh i wonder what he put it's just like if you're friends with somebody you're just <laughs> friends with them like you're I, I it's it's so odd 
No, um, that, that's that's it's, pretty much sums it up. Same thing with me and Vic and me and my other friends I grew up with. If I'm truly friends with them, I don't want to see your Facebook page. That's just how it goes. I'm not into it. Well, I, I, mean, I yeah. spend time with you in real time. So. Right, right, right. Um, but that is a really I, – I, now I'm going to go on your page and watch that video because that is, that is very interesting. So just getting into kind of the bulk of what we're going to talk about with the peaceful protests – um, for justice for George Floyd and others. It's not just George Floyd. It's countless number of, of um, men and women of color and police brutality and years and years and histories of uh, like lifetimes of injustice. Um, and so this is from the New York Times that white protest, right? White um, protesters made up 61% of those that were protesting in New York, 65% in Washington, and 53% in Los Angeles. So those are kind of like three wow. huge areas, obviously like, you know, the biggest city in our country, the capital of our country, and the second biggest city in our country. So just hmm. a, a scale of what um, this peaceful protest, and like when we did, uh, when I was on the Ox and the Opus a few weeks ago, or few days a few hours ago um i talked about how i was like i think optimist optimistic and hopeful and now today i'm like man there's so many systems in place already that now i'm not hopeful anymore i'm just feeling like this is a big big change and it's a step Oof. forward but then i think about like the whole like police system the banking system the economic system the um there's a lot of things and this is things that i've learned about what it means to be what it means to be white in america has advantages i'm never worried about when i get um pulled over by a cop i'm never worried about like my health insurance or my banking and that's not saying all white people have this i'm just talking about my experience that there's a lot of advantages to being white and I'm never probably going to sit down and talk to my son about, okay, this is what you need to do if you're pulled over by a police. Um, you know, don't reach into the glove apartment. Don't reach for your phone. You know, like there's just certain things that I won't have those discussions probably with my son. Um, whereas um, people of color and, and I know you've shared this of your experience, it's it's different for you and i don't know how i don't know what's changed but i guess i'm just like so many people so many businesses you know like i brought up nascar the nfl and then i feel like okay unless there's real action behind it are things actually going to change so i don't know how you're feeling today but and then we had a big event that happened in atlanta after you know after we, we already recorded so All right yeah um I don't think it's going to change, man. I'm just, I, I don't. I, I think it's going to. What's the I biggest obstacle that, like, keeps the, you? Me, just, I just don't think. So, there's so many layers to it, man. Yeah, um, you're right. You're right. Just with, okay. So, with the police brutality, mm -hmm. that is a thing in itself. Right. Regardless of color, that is a thing in itself. But then it's always now it's associated with being prejudiced and being racist. So 
you got you have people that support the the law enforcement and they very well might not be prejudiced mm -hmm. but their support for law enforcement sort of supersedes common sense sometimes and it, and it does a lot of their argument at times for some people does come across as being culturally and racially and ethnically ignorant mm. so i just don't think and and i'd say all that to say like i don't think that until people realize how that really sounds and how that comes across i just don't think we're going to get past it I, I i think it's just going to change it's going to it's going to change shape it's going to change form it's going to change mannerisms but it's not going anywhere it's a, it's only going to get worse that's how i feel at this exact moment yeah so and you know when dr king is um murdered in memphis there's big big um protests that was 19 april 4th 1968 i believe i think that's right um i know you're the history major but um so 1968 big protests and then it like the racial um tension changed i would say after that but then we're still here today. So I, I, I think, and that was also, you know, something that happened not in front of everybody's TV, but it was like, it was a big, 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 you know, he was a big presence, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, it's as close as maybe it can be to being like this. I mean, it was a worldwide, you know, protest at that point. So is that kind of what you're saying? Like, this is a big moment, it's a step forward, but like with every step forward, there's two steps back kind of thing. I, that's just, okay, how long ago was that? And look look at how far we have, right. have yet 50 to years progress. Ago. We haven't progressed then. It's just changed. Mm. It's, it's just changed. Whereas I think it was uh, blatant and overt racism it's slowly changed and it still remains blatant and overt but instead of coming out of people's mouths real time it's on social media and, and the fact that we can share this stuff i i don't know man i just don't i'm not optimistic about the future of any of this well so i want to talk a little bit about um, we both have looked at the work and seen some videos of professor kendy um mm -hmm. and he's this man phenomenal um writer and speaker and he has a book called how to be an anti-racist which um i think he invented that well i don't know if he invented that term but i haven't seen people talk about racism and anti-racism the way that he does um, right. so i'm gonna just read i guess one of his quotes he says that um like fighting an addiction being an anti-racist requires persistent self-awareness, constant self-criticism, and regular self-examination. Um, so um, I do some work or a lot of work at my play, uh, at my job, but also within like the church circles dealing with addiction for probably like over 10 years. And I've never thought of addiction, I've never thought of racism as like an, an addiction. Um, Professor Kendi talks about it. Um, and or racism as being like a disease or like a cancer that you have to defeat and with addiction you defeat it one day at a time you defeat it with a group of community that surrounds you and you defeat addiction you know slowly like 
you have relapses, you get sober, and then you go back to not being sober. Um, but you always have a community of people around you. And you listen to people's stories of all different ages, all different backgrounds. Um, and it's, it's a slow process. So when I think of like anti, when I think of being an anti-racist as like addiction, it's like I need community and I need to really look at myself and have my own self-awareness. And then I need others like you to also help me see myself, help me learn, help me grow. Um, what did, what do you think about that idea? Like fighting racism, like it's an addiction. I think that's a, I think that's a unique approach to, and I think it's, I think there are some, some things to be said about that. I think that that is a, a good logical way to look at racism. And mm -hmm. I, and I do think just from what you said on your statement that, you know, it's going to take me being self-aware and just surrounding myself with community. I mean, I, that's the recipe for success. And it's hard work. Like I think about if you would say, describe America, I wouldn't say very self-reflective, has a lot of self-awareness, yeah. examines yeah. the past. I mean, meditate slowly. No quick, like it's not <laughs> describing our country at all. Um, but when I think about like healthy people and healthy friends, that probably is one of the characteristics overall. Like being able, like they talk about, like being able to laugh at yourself is a healthy thing. Like that's self-awareness, you know? Mm -hmm. And so. So what, did, yeah. did, here's my thing. What makes right. America different than Canada, than um than Europe, why why is it that we are struggling with so many problems concerning race outside yeah. of the obvious? Outside of the obvious, like we know about slavery, we know that there's discrimination, but I'm sure the same stuff happens in Europe, but we just take it to a whole different plateau with this stuff. Well, okay. I mean, if we can go to like the core of the beginning of America, it was very economically successful compared to other com compared to other countries and like gained so much money so fast. I think in part because of slavery. I'm not I don't know history well enough to know how big of an impact it was, but it, I'm sure it was a big impact to get to be able to sell without having to pay anyone and other countries had done it, but I've heard this is like I said, hearsay, but like America like perfected slavery the way other countries did not perfect it. Like they gained so, everything economically from slavery and, and um, were very aggressive in making money that way. So the institution of slavery, so it's, it's slavery plus, capital yes and yeah and the and refining that process of working that those things together or but then brazil from what i understand brazil had a majority of the slaves and now that's a poor country i'm, I'm not right. saying that but it just seems like when it comes to um a group of people its citizens being um volatile 
it we America seems way more reactionary, which I don't know, man. I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out. No, man. yeah, I don't, man. It would be good. I I wouldn't mind, you know, looking more into the details of that. I think the other big thing is that we really like if you look at um, some of the stuff I've read about Germany after World War II is they made a very big deal of remembering their history and they would have like plaques, they would have memorials, they want you to go to the concentration camps so that you can learn about history and Mm. to not repeat it. They want you to acknowledge the past that they had and Germans, you know, still have a lot of pride in what they do, even though, like, if you think of somebody who should have a country that should have a lot of problems with race and hatred, I would think Germany would be pretty high on that list. Right. Um, But there was a way that the government went about acknowledging kind of the sins of their past. Um, I don't think we've made some steps, but, you know, we have, in, in fact, we do the opposite where we have a bunch of statues of like Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis. And um, we like, we almost, and the Confederate flag is all over the place, you know? And so we've had a weird way of remembering the civil war and a weird way of remembering our history. Um, mm. I think there's something to that where we just have never really acknowledged it. We've always said, uh, it wasn't that bad. Which is what I told you earlier before we started recording is, it's like, well, you know, it was worse back then. People aren't slaves anymore. Well, you know, just to, <laughs> Which to is piggyback on that. Terrible you know, my, response. Uh, my father uh, has told this to me. You know, we've obviously talked about this. Um, and, and he says, people can say that. That's fine. He said, white people can say that, that, you know, we are past slavery and, and, you know, we are, but we really aren't. He said, my last name is Anderson. Your last name is Anderson. That, that is not our appropriate name. And and I had to sit and think on that, man. And he's like, I'm reminded of, 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 he said, I'm reminded that I was property. We come from a family that was somebody's property at one point in our timeline. And then, you know, I really started, and this kind of, this kind of set off this weird, like, fascination with people's last names for me, man. So, right then and there, I started looking up my last name, and I started, when I came across somebody with the last name Anderson, I would, I would just, if they were white, then okay, that obviously right there, that's, that's a clue. If they weren't white, I just kind of, I felt more of a, a connection. A more of a connection to that person. It's really, yeah. really weird, man. But ever since my daddy had that conversation with me, that that sort of changed my perspective. It it gave me laser focus on that issue. So yeah, people can say this happened so many years ago. But you know, we are probably, if you are of African descent in America, there's a good chance you're a product of a lot of that stuff that people keep telling you to forget, and you carry around. You literally have that attached to your name. <laughs> For most of them. Whoa. I'm going to have to. Wow. Because it's not like Selinsky or, I don't know, help me with some of those good good old, like. <laughs> so I, I mean, looked up. Anderson's from Sweden. Is a Sweden, Swedish last name. 
yes. the last I remember. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound African, that's for sure. Yeah, I can't even point to where Sweden is on the map, to be honest. So, <laughs> I don't know. I just wow. don't know. <laughs> when did he say that to you? Oh, we had this conversation. I was probably in high school. I was probably in okay. high school. When we, okay. And it's just very vivid because that's one of the one of the few times that, you know, there wasn't a lot of fluff to to that conversation. It wasn't like, hey, you'll be all right. He he kind of he kind of left that conversation open to like, yeah, just be prepared for what life is going to bring to you. It kind of felt like that. So, man, that's. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, so I think I'm trying to figure out where to go. So, um, that's the conversation you're having with your dad when you're in high school. Yes, sir. Or high school. Yeah, whatever. High school age. Yeah. And I just think about the fact that like, I mean, I don't have conversations like that with anyone, you know, I feel like the, um, best example that I've been taught is um, just to, I guess, kind of contrast the issues between what it's like to be white, what it's like to be black or brown. Um, if you, um, when's, well, maybe we can do this experiment. Not experiment, that's a horrible word. But just this example of when was the first time, to, like, I don't want like a huge long story, I guess, but just like, when you recognized you like your tone of skin, your skin color? Uh, I want to say I was probably five. Five. And, um, yeah, I was living in this trailer park, Pope Plains, and we were on the playground, and I went back and forth with this kid. It was me and my friend. We called him Batman. <laughs> um, so – we were on the playground. I'm going to make this as quick as I can. He basically, uh -huh. we just basically went, I don't know what happened, but we went back and forth with a lot of the, that, that type vulgar, um, just some really choice phrases for each mm -hmm. other based on our ethnic background. So okay. he, you know, he was dropping the N word and I knew, I knew what honky was and all that stuff. And we, sure. were, we were going back and forth. So he definitely brought that to my attention. But that is the first instance where somebody set, you know, put distance between who I was and who were, who they were based on the superficial, right. the, the superficial, just aesthetics of who I who I look like or who he thought I was. So yes, that's the and, first instance. And this obviously, this kind of, like this can be different for every single person. So you were five. I mean, I I honestly think like this idea of like exploring whiteness, what it means to be white. I didn't have, like, I noticed that I was white, you know, but I don't think I've ever thought about what it means to be white until I took a um, racial equity institute class in my 30s. Wow. You know what I mean? Like, that's a huge gap. So the, the teacher said, how often do you think about your skin color? And um, a lot of people of color said every day. Like I think about my skin color every day. And then she asked all the white people in the room, what, how often do you think about your skin color? And it's like, never. Like, mm. you know, that's a huge, huge gap. And mm. those, so now when we, 
see how long it's, I mean, there's a book that I've read called um, White Awake, and it talks about um, white people not judging other white people for their awareness of white privilege and white advantage. Um, and it's just such a di way different conversation from <laughs> discussions that you're having, names that you're being called, conversations you're having with your friends, with your dad, that I'm but having. You know, you know, that's a huge gap. And and not to cut you off, but... No, that's fine. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. It, it happens in, in the community I come from. You're yeah. not black enough or you're too black, right. depending right, on right, what right. side of the, the fence you're on with that. And right. um, so you, when you mentioned white awareness, but then how can I hold someone like you responsible for being aware of your white privilege if you're from a place where 98% of the people are white? You're not going to be aware of it then. Right. So it, it makes sense. It would, take, it would take for you having to get into an environment where people are different before somebody either hey notifies you that hey you're experiencing a good deal of white privilege there bud if that's an actual thing or whatever mm -hmm. however you believe mm -hmm. or you're you know it's going to take somebody to bring that to your attention and even then they, they'll have to define that for you wouldn't they because you're like white privilege i'm from wisconsin there's we're all white so what does that mean right so i think the that is you know some of the issue when we talk about race is what it means to be white, which is not typically how we talk about the conversation. And so I have a little thing that I wrote where it's like, you know, being white means I don't have to teach my son how to calmly listen to a police officer as he insults you. Being mm -hmm. white means I don't have to teach my son or myself not to reach for my cell phone or my wallet that's in, my, um, in the glove box. Being white is not evil. Being white doesn't mean I am guilty for all the racist sins of whites of the U.S. past. Yet being white has its advantages and I have to teach and focus my kids, my family, my, my influence, my circle to treat people with all, you know, to treat all people with dignity and justice, you know, that I believe that God does have dignity and justice in every, you know, every person. And it doesn't mean that like, I don't work hard or I don't suffer or I don't have problems in my life. Like there's a lot of um, white people that if you say white privilege, it's like, what do you mean? I worked hard. I grew up poor. I, right. you know, and it's like, that's not what we're talking about. It's not what we're talking about. It doesn't mean you didn't work hard, <laughs> but that's people, people get so offended. So when I hear like, we have to have a lot of self-awareness if we're going to learn how to defeat racism, it's like, man, I do not feel optimistic about that. But I, I think you, I think we both kind of touched on it. It's, it is, you got to put, now see, this is one of those instances where, like I was speaking about like Black Lives Matter. Somebody mm -hmm. who's completely ignorant to what's going on, they hear that, that's a hot word. They hear it and there's all these connotations affixed to that term. It's, it's sort of like the, the reputation of what that means precedes the actual what the term actually means so it's just like you said being made of your white privilege before those people even get a chance to i don't know masticate or digest what that term actually means they just know 
they hear the word mm-hmm. white privilege and like, oh hell no, there wasn't nothing. Cause tell it to the white guy that that's poor as hell who who grew right. up with black people his whole life, and he's gonna be like, right, well, right. You know, I've suffered more than most white people, so you can say that for yourself. And they have to be made aware, and they have to be mature enough to sit and listen to what that means before I think yes. any, anybody will take action on it. Yeah, that's right. And like, so when I kind of first heard about white privilege, like I was offended. I was like, what? What do you, you know? <laughs> but then when I sat with it and when I listened and when I listened to other people who were older and wiser, then I, and I still feel like I, you know, have, um, like there's still tension about it because it's like, I want to explain it the best way. And I don't know if I explain it the best way. I think maybe like saying, I don't know. I just try to explain it a little bit using examples and it's just really difficult to hear because it does take some um, humility and we typically don't like that. Um, So I guess going back to like what I'd started off with how, you know, over 50, over 60% of the protesters right now are white, according to some um, research. And I sent you that article from the New York Times that had like every single city that had a protest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to see if I can, well, I can't pull it up, but just looking at like, I talked about, you know, my hometown in Oshkosh and seeing people protest there what i mean what it's a is it just a good step forward like what what is your feelings i guess when you when you look at this like i i i kind of feel like oh i'm proud of of my city and where i grew up but what is your i guess feelings when you look at kind of the the nation right now so <clears throat> I'm not gonna lie. I think that's pretty awesome, man. I I think that it's too little, too late, but it's something. I think. Okay. Right. Like, dude, as far back as you can remember, this is this has went down in some shape, form, or fashion. Right. And, and maybe it just it takes time for stuff like this to hit a threshold. But you know, the longer it takes, the more people are dying. So. Mm. But it just in particular to what I'm saying, I think this is awesome, man. And I and I think what's even more profound about it, it's not you you quoted the, the stats on it. It's a majority of white people saying, Hey, this is a thing that is going down. It'd be different if it was you could say eighty-five percent or ninety percent of the protesters were minorities. Then of course the narrative, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna vouch for themselves. Why wouldn't they? Right. So it's, I really like the fact that the numbers sort of favor white people being the majority and at those rallies. And I, I think that's a, I think it's a beautiful thing, but I just don't see it being consistent. I think it's going to die out until the next thing happens and then it'll spark back up. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that's not the case. So, um, I think, man, like we knew we were going to get into this and there's like so many places it could go. There's not really an ending. Um, I think that, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out like some way that I would be like more hopeful 
you know, I kind of ask you like, what's the biggest obstacle? And you mentioned um, police, police brutality towards all people. Um, I think about just the police system. I have a few friends that are cops and um, there's such like this huge brotherhood to like the police system where, mm-hmm. you know, we watch George Floyd be brutally unjustly murdered as people are have their hands in their pocket recording it and watching it um other police officers and there's this culture of like not yeah you don't tell on your fellow uh officer um man like it's gonna take a lot and then the police union is really strong so like i i feel like i'm just at this place where it's like it's gonna take people of power (laughs) actually making big decisions that change this and i don't know if i have that much faith like i'm glad that people are protesting i'm glad that it's majority white and you know it's you know people of all ages and and colors that are protesting but i still feel like is it going to make a difference to the people that are actually have influence and I know people are supposed to have influence in our country, but man, sometimes I still feel like we don't <laughs> as yeah. people. I don't know. Right. That, does that make any sense? <laughs> no, it, it does. It, and you know, I, I remember reading or hearing about, uh, I think it was the, the law enforcement in Las Vegas. They, so they basically said that, Hey, we do see that there's a problem that, law you know some of our law enforcement they do prejudge there is a bit of of that so what we're going to do is we're going to work on it so they they focus their training in that department and i think they de-escalated those like situations where a gun was discharged by 30 something percent so they're basically saying we do see that there is an issue with race and how people identify race in terms of if the uh, accused is guilty or not. And, and they walk into these situations with their prejudged notions of who this person is based on his race. And they said, well, we're going to focus our training on that. And it seems to be working. It's Las Vegas, I think. And I, it's the same, ain't that the same place you can... <laughs> A lot of you things can, in Vegas. Yes, yeah, thank you. You <laughs> saved me on that one. There's a lot of areas they can focus on, so. <laughs> well, I appreciate you, man. I really appreciate you, all the stuff that, that you share as we continue to, you know, to talk and have conversations. Um, I feel like we're both in similar places of kind of like one step forward, two steps back. Um, I saw a lot of protesters that said white silence equals violence. And that's caused me to think a little bit. But then, you know, hearing you talk a little bit about your experience and so many others, it's like, man, like we're only, we're only at the beginning. Like for me, it's like, I'm only at the beginning of some of this stuff I'm learning. And for, um, for yourself, it's something that you've been wrestling with since you were five. It's just, I don't know. I can't help but, just feel I don't know what the word is like I guess like guilty and I think just as you know Christian people we represent hopefully represent the good side 
of uh, <laughs> justice and forgiveness and peace. And I've seen some good stuff from from some from preachers um, on this, um, on George Floyd and and on race relations in America. But mm-hmm. um, I've also seen some not so good. So, yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> But that, that, it, it's up to us, man, to try to make make these things right and take the steps uh, required to improve whatever it is we're trying to work on. So it's all good. Today's artwork was done by Dominique Frazier. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox. The music you're listening to, Josh Cleveland, and the creator and editor and producer of the Winter Faith Podcast, yours truly, Andy Frazier. Well, you did it again. You spent your time listening to my show. You probably could have spent this time playing games or binging Game of Thrones on your phone, but instead you spent it with me, so I thank you for your time. If you haven't already, downloaded and subscribed to the Winter Faith Podcast on Anchor. If you haven't already, please leave a review on iTunes with good, bad, or ugly feedback. Also, please consider supporting the show on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. However, I do accept Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, and any other way you want to contribute to the show financially. Okay, my commercials are done. Andy, out. <laughs>